Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Governed by God, a biblical look at law, civics, and government. My name is Eric Leupold. Thank you for joining me on today's episode. So, uh, last episode, I took a break from the series on tyranny to look at a recent uh, Central Bucks School Board meeting that I attended back in January and took a look at some of the comments there, specifically regarding our culture and the culture wars that um, one of the attenders to that meeting had made. Uh, I do want to get back to the tyranny subject, uh, and I had planned on doing that, but today, I changed my mind, today I wanted to look at what the recently elected and inaugurated Governor Shapiro of Pennsylvania said regarding the death penalty. And I believe um, this was a live speech that he gave today, as I'm recording this, on February 16th. So this episode will come out next week on Wednesday, uh, the uh, 22nd. So it'll be about a week old by that time. So I wanted to get this done in a timely manner. But first, as always, I wanted to cover a passage of the day. And I want to look at two passages that are related to the topic of death penalty and we're going to apply those passages as we look at what Governor Shapiro says about the death penalty and how we as Christians and concerned citizens should respond. So the first passage is well-known, Genesis 9, verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. All right, pretty straightforward. After the flood... With the inauguration of the Noahic Covenant, uh, God makes it very clear, and this is the first time in Scripture that God commands that someone be put to death for murder. That if someone is shedding the blood of man, by man should his blood be shed. And the reason given is because God made man in his own image. So whatever we want to say about the death penalty, it is commanded by God and that was given to Noah. This is So this isn't an issue of, well, that was a law given only to Israel. You can't say that this was just you know, a first thing for Moses or for the, the nation of Israel in the promised land uh, you know, during the time of the monarchy or the time of judges. No, this was a Noahic covenant which applies to everyone. Because remember, God's promise is to everyone that he's not going to flood the world and destroy it by water. Um, the sign is given to everyone, the rainbow. Everyone receives the sign, whether you're a believer or unbeliever. Everyone on the planet receives this sign. And this commandment is given to everyone. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. And so commentators have made the point that this is the inauguration of the civil government. The purpose of the civil government is to bear the sword. Romans talks about that the governors, emperor, magistrates, they bear the sword and they are God's avengers and God's deacons. Uh, diakonos, the same word we use for deacons, God's servants, to punish evil and to avenge. So that, and they bear the sword, and the sword is a life taking device there. So just one thing to keep in mind. Now, the next passage is from King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. And here's what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, 
the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. And that is more of a statement of observation that when sentences, when the discipline, when the punishment is not administered quickly, then it loses its deterrent effect. Um, There's multiple reasons why God commands the death penalty. One of them is deterrence. One of them. And that's not the most important one. The most important one is for the shedding of blood of those made in God's image. That, because of the damage that was done, because of murdering and taking the life of image bearers, uh, the murderer forfeits his life, and God demands a payment for that. So there's that. There's the there's the punitive payment uh, concept, but there's also the deterring concept. And King Solomon points this out in Ecclesiastes that, uh, and this applies across the board, regardless of whether we're talking about capital punishment or just regular punishment. Um, when sentences are not carried out quickly, the people begin to think that they can get away with it and that it's not really serious. And this is true in parenting. I mean, if you don't follow through with the rules that you set down for your children and if you if you don't discipline them in a timely manner, they come to think that, well, discipline's not going to happen. There's no real deterrence effect with that. And so we need to keep both of these passages, these truths in mind as we look to the concept of the death penalty as applied to today. So that is our passage or passages of the day. And now I want to uh, look at what Governor Shapiro said today. He visited a church in West Philadelphia. I don't know the name of the church. He just mentioned that he was in a church. Um, I'm not going to start from the very beginning because a lot of it was introductions. Uh, he was not the first person who spoke. Some other individuals spoke. Um and interestingly, they're not, they are talking about the death penalty, but the person before Governor Shapiro, and I'll put a link to the video uh, in, the, uh, in the notes of the show, but the person that spoke before Governor Shapiro was advocating not only for an abandonment of the death penalty, but also for the ending of life in prison. Basically, doesn't want people to die in prison. Uh, although Governor Shapiro does not talk about that particularly in this statement here. So I'm just going to begin, and I'm going to pause it as, uh, as, uh, as we need to. I'm here today to have another conversation with you. I wanted to come back specifically today because last week the first execution warrant came across my desk as governor. Under our system here in the Commonwealth, the governor, and the governor alone, has the authority to sign off on executions. Let me explain how our system works. The death penalty can only be applied in cases where a defendant is found guilty of first-degree murder. So I want to pause there. First-degree murder is the worst kind, premeditated, preplanned. I had the intention to kill that person, and that's what I did. So there's a very select case of of murder. There's varying degrees that, that exist in our judicial system, second-degree murder, then there's manslaughter. So there's a couple other categories in which a person's life was taken. But first-degree is the worst 
kind, pre-planned. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to make it happen. Once a conviction is handed down, a whole separate hearing occurs where aggravating and mitigating circumstances are taken into consideration. So here, he's laying, lay, he's laying out the steps, which I appreciate, by the way. So the person's convicted, but then another hearing takes place to see if there were mitigating circumstances. Now, it's interesting. I don't know the details of how these work. Um, I think it'd be very interesting to see how these work. Why weren't those circumstances considered during the regular trial? I don't, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but I imagine these circumstances are just another group of people looking at the situation. Okay, yes, this guy did it. He planned it. But now let's take a look at, well, maybe, you know, maybe he had a good reason to do it. Or maybe he was under the influence of something. Or maybe he just had a really bad childhood. And, and there was some bad blood between the person. So you're really getting into the heart of the person, uh, their motives, um, things like that, which uh, drags things out a little longer, but that seems to be what's happening. We'll continue. Before a judge ultimately makes a final ruling on sentencing, possibly handing down the death penalty. So the judge, after going through this hearing, so the person was found guilty, but... The death penalty, whether that is to be applied, is still questionable. And now the judge, through this hearing, could lay down another sentence or a different kind of sentence, and one of them could be to death penalty. So you already have a lot of wickets here that the uh, case is going through. The case then goes through many, many layers of appeals here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and at the federal level. Okay, that is a little concerning. Um... Many, many layers of appeals? Well, how many? And why both federal and state? This is exactly the problem. It just, it just adds more paperwork to this whole system. The states should be able to administer uh, punishment among their own citizens. It, sh it really should not require the federal government to get involved. Pennsylvania is, is fully capable of doing this. If, through all those appeals, the courts uphold the sentence... Then it comes to my desk as the governor. All right, so let's pause there. So all these individuals, multiple hearings, multiple judges, state and federal level, all of them have looked at the case probably with great detail and attention. And they have all said, he's guilty and we think he needs to be executed. And now it comes to the governor's desk and the governor's job as the executive branch, so the judicial branch has already done their job. So the legislative branch has passed the law saying we can have the death penalty. We, we should have it. The judicial branch has said, yep, he did it, and it's worthy of the death penalty. And now it goes to the executive branch to execute, to actually make it happen. And that's what brings us to today and why we are here. I wanted to gather in this special place to tell you and to tell the good people of Pennsylvania how I will handle capital cases during my time as governor. And I also think it's important for you to know how I arrived at this decision. Before I begin with that pro <clears throat> process, let me be absolutely clear on one point. What I'm saying today is not a statement on the integrity 
of any individual conviction here in Pennsylvania. That's an important thing for you to know. So he wants to assure everyone that he does not not trust the process. He trusts the process. So his issue, and we'll get to that in a little bit, he'll talk about it, is one of principle. Not that he believes our system made a mistake or that the process is too quick or too inaccurate uh, in its judgment. He's not saying that, which I'm, I'm, I appreciate that he's at least, you know, he's recognizing that they, they did their job. When it comes to his desk, he can trust that the process worked when it comes to his desk. But now we're going to get to the principle of the matter. I also want you to know as attorney general, which I was when we gathered last, I enforced the law without fear or without favor. And in some cases, fought to make sure people spent the rest of their lives behind bars. Which, by the way, is still a death sentence. They, they're not going to do anything. They're just going to be in bars until they die. It's a slow death, maybe a little painful because they're in prison. That's not necessarily the best place to be. But um, yeah, we'll talk more about that later. The people who are on death row in our Commonwealth have committed serious crimes. They deserve to be put behind bars for a good long time, if not for life. And that is him basically saying, God's ways are not just. That, that is exactly, he thinks justice is behind bars, maybe for life, not execution. So what that must mean is when God gave that commandment to Noah, God was wrong. God was unjust in what he did. They've been convicted by a jury of their peers, and their cases have gone through rounds and rounds of appeals. Those appeals often happen over years, if not decades. Think about that for a second. One case appeals over years, if not decades. That is not the execution of justice speedily. That's why the death penalty loses its deterrence effect because of this very long, drawn-out, cumbersome system. And so I speak today not about the integrity of any individual capital conviction, but to the fundamental question as to whether death is a just and appropriate punishment for the state to inflict on its citizens. Okay, so that's the question of the day. Is death something that the state can do? Well, Romans 13 very clearly states that the government bears the sword to punish evil and to praise the good. That, and you go, in the, you go in the Proverbs. A wise king winnows the wicked and drives the wheel over them. Um, Noah, the Noahic covenant. The whole point is that the government has been given by God. God has said, this is the sword. You are allowed to wield it properly. You can use it in proper waging of war, just war theory. You can also wield the sword in the administration of justice. So use the sword. The thing is, the government always has a sword. Always. You can't just drop the sword. And if you drop it and you basically refuse to use it, 
you are disobeying God. The government is failing to do its job. And that just leads to a whole bunch of other issues, including vigilantism, tribalism, gang warfare, gang street justice, things like that. So keep that in mind. He thinks that it is unjust for the government to take life. That sounds lovely on the surface, and it's kind of the view of a of, of a pacifist, right? But I wonder if he would say that about the military. Could the government soldiers take life in the waging of war? He probably has no problem with that. Ironically, that taking of life happens pretty quickly with very little appeal process. So, kind of strange. I want to be honest about something. My approach to capital punishment has evolved over time. Some of you know that here. Some of you have protested me about that over time. It's okay. For more than a decade, and when I assumed office as Attorney General, I believed that the death penalty should be reserved for the most heinous of cases. That it indeed was a just punishment for those specific crimes. However, when the first capital case came to my desk in the Attorney General's office, I found myself repeatedly refusing to seek the death penalty on those cases that came across my desk. So after all the work that was done properly through the legislative and judicial branch, you have a hard time doing your job as God has called you to do. That is so presumptuous, so arrogant, and so prideful to do that. And, and of course, in clear disobedience to what God has called you to do. And you are refusing to do it, and you're calling it just. It really spits in the face of God and God's law. When my son asked me why it was okay to kill someone who killed someone else, I couldn't look him in the eye and answer that question. Well, now, that is very interesting. So your son came to you and said, how can you kill someone who killed someone else? All you do, I mean, is you turn to Genesis 9, 6. Think about this. His son asked, how can you kill someone who killed someone else? And then you just read these words. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. I mean, just think about that. The son has a legit question. And that question was answered explicitly by God himself in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. God has given the answer to that question. And it saddens me that Governor Shapiro had no answer. Now, it's probably because Governor Shapiro is not familiar with Genesis 9, 6. Although I, I don't know he's not familiar with it, but it's just very interesting that he didn't have an answer. But, but God does. There is an answer um, to that question. In 2018, when a gunman walked into the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, in the Squirrel Hill neighborhood there, one of the most richly diverse and wonderful communities in our commonwealth, and murdered 11 people while they worshipped in their synagogue. The deadliest act of anti-Semitism in our nation's history I certainly view that as a truly heinous crime. Yes, indeed, and that criminal deserved 
the death penalty, and God commanded it. And candidly, my first reaction back in 2018 was that that killer deserved to be put to death. In fact, I stated so publicly. And that is the image of God coming out of Governor Shapiro. The law of God is written on our hearts, even the hearts of unbelievers. Romans chapter 2 makes that very, very clear. He yearns for that. He recognizes the heinousness of that crime. He recognizes deep down that call for justice, but he is suppressing that. He is refusing to obey God and suppressing that that call of God's law from within and and saying that that's not just. God's ways are not are not good ways. We need to find other ways. Over time, my thoughts on this issue have evolved. I've spoken to a lot of victims, to families, to advocates, to community leaders, and to my son. I listened to the families of those 11 people who were slain at Tree of Life. And I was truly moved by their courage and by their grace. You see, they told me and they told the world that even after all the pain and anguish, they did not want that killer to be put to death. Okay, and I'm just going to straight up say they are wrong. Now, I want to be clear, though, that here we have two different spheres talking. The church, we'll just go with the church because it's a synagogue, but we'll just talk about religious organizations, the local community. You have that sphere of the church. So members of the church, we can even call it a family because let's say that someone uh, went into a house and, and killed a whole bunch of members of, of a family. And the family members, he's talking to the family members and they say, we don't want that person to be put to death. Okay. But here's the thing. That might be what you want, but he still has a job to do and God is his boss. He answers to God. He does answer to the people, but ultimately answers to God. Everybody, the people and the leaders answer to God. And so when someone comes to you and says, I don't want you to do this, I mean, essentially saying, I don't want you to do your job. I want you to do something different. Even if they mean well, you have to gently say to them, look, I understand. And your job as a church, as a family, is to pray for this individual's soul and to prepare your hearts to forgive, to forgive, even if that person repents and says sorry, to forgive them. But my job as the civil magistrate in my office, so this is not Mr. Shapiro, this is Governor Shapiro. In my office, I have a job responsibility, job description, and one of those responsibilities is to execute justice. And the legislative branch has already done their part, the judicial branch has already done their part, and I need to do my part in honor of of God, God's law, and the laws of Pennsylvania. So, and that is what, that's how you would respond. That's one of, I think, one of the ways you could respond to someone like that. But however nice it seems, you you cannot let someone convince you to not do your job. That's what they said as a collective group 
But what does God say? Yes, you're listening to your son. You're listening to other people. You're listening to the victims. But are you listening to God? And doesn't his voice matter more than those other voices? Not saying you can't listen to other voices, but God's voice should be the one that you really listen to the most. Yes, they think he should spend the rest of his life in prison. I do as well. Okay, but according to what standard? Where is that written? Where does God say that? Isn't that the same as killing him? Just very, very slowly over time. I mean, sure, in prison he could probably better himself, exercise, get an education, do do something and do some work. But also in prison he's at risk of of more uh, criminal acts being done against him by prisoners or him doing criminal acts to other prisoners. So there's still sin and evil and crime that takes place inside those prisons. Um, and even if he were to repent in prison and reform himself, he's not getting out. So I don't understand how that makes it any better. He still dies it's just later, not sooner, if you're never going to let him out. But they said the state should not take his life as punishment for him taking the lives of their loved ones. Okay, that is completely contrary to Genesis 9, that he should not have his life taken because he shed the, the image of God, the blood of the image of God, a complete violation of Genesis 9 and 6. And this is a synagogue. They should, have, they should know Genesis. That, that the Old Testament belongs to them. Like, they should know that. Genesis 9, 6, Noah, God talks to Noah, says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, because God made man in his own image. I mean, and what his son is saying, and what these victims, and I feel for them, what they're saying, though, is God's wrong. What God says is not just. I mean, that's as clear as day. It, it's completely contrary to God. That has stayed with me. All of these conversations have stayed with me. As Attorney General, I had the privilege of seeing our criminal justice system up close as the Chief Law Enforcement Officer of the Commonwealth. And through that experience, two critical truths became clear to me about capital sentencing in our Commonwealth. The system is fallible and the outcome is irreversible. Okay, let's stop there for a second. The system is fallible and the outcome is irreversible. Yes and yes, that is true. Every human system is fallible. None is perfect. Although you, he did just describe just how many wickets this has to go through and how long this process takes to ensure beyond a reasonable doubt, not infallible knowledge. If you want infallible knowledge, you have to be God. But God himself has said to Noah, to humans, you have the authority to do this. Yes, there's a process. Two or three witnesses. Both sides get to make their case. Okay, there is a process in place, but God, we need to trust God. God has given us instructions. He wants us to follow these instructions. And just because we can't be God and have infallible knowledge is not an excuse to say, well... You know, because the system's not perfect, we're just not going to do it. 
we're just not going to obey. You know, we could make a mistake. And, and, but God is saying, I know. And I've accounted for that in the ways that I've given you, in the laws that I've written for you. I've accounted for that. Just follow the instruction manual and that will be the best that you can get. That is what I want you to do to achieve justice on this earth. But Governor Shapiro does not want to do that. He wants a system that's infallible, which you will never get. You will never get. And the only option, you're basically picking between one fallible system and another fallible system. You're going to get a fallible system. The question is, which system do you want? One that's man-made or one that's made by God who made man? And the other thing is that it's permanent. Is it no less permanent than to put someone behind bars forever? I suppose it's reversible. I guess you could sentence someone to life in prison without parole and then decide to change your mind one day. And okay, I guess that's it. A lot of things are irreversible. Like abortion, that's irreversible. Once you've made that choice and the unborn baby is killed, there's no going back. That's true. Humans make a lot of irreversible, permanent decisions. That's true. But again, God has instructed us to trust him. And he says you can make these permanent decisions. Uh, knowing that God has the ultimate outcome as far as justice, a perfect, uh, universal, cosmic justice, and as far as the hearts of man. You know, you, you might not be able to, to save a man's body, but if he's going to his death um, at execution and he's about ready to meet his maker, you know, maybe that's going to be the catalyst that gets that man to repent and to cry out to God for salvation. And that man might end up in heaven for that. I mean, right? Consider the thief on the cross. You know, who knows he's there and that his punishment was just. He knows that. And he cries out to Christ. And Christ saves him. So there are deathbed confessions. And there are death row confessions. And one of the, one of the results of having a death penalty is that when people know that they're about to meet their maker and enter into eternity, they finally, maybe for the first time in their lives, begin to think about standing before their creator. And what are they going to say? And, I mean, God uses that for powerful um, evangelistic soul-saving opportunities. You can't discount that. The system is fallible and the outcome is irreversible. I have painstakingly considered every aspect of Pennsylvania's capital sentencing system, reflected on my own conscience, and weighed the tremendous responsibilities that I have as governor. And those responsibilities have been given to you by God, and you're not weighing those. You're not considering those responsibilities, and that is a problem. I'm here today in this church in this place where we hug and we talk and we challenge one another. And in this place where the word of God is not being preached or applied or taught properly, seemingly. In a church, in, isn't this ironic that the church, which has the word of God, is not teaching and proclaiming the word of God, but going against it?
to tell you that I will not sign any execution warrants during my time as governor of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So he has basically just said, I am not going to bear the sword. I'm not going to do what God has called me to do. I'm not going to punish evil. I'm not going to honor uh, what God says about man being made in, in God's image. And perhaps it seems contradictory that, you know, how, how is it possible that God would command that we destroy the image of God when after that person has destroyed the image of God, how does that help anyone? Well, it, it demonstrates what you, what you value, right? So, for example, when we sin against God because he is of such great value, um, the punishment is damnation and hell because we break his law and we sin against a holy and righteous God. When we kill an animal, you hit a deer on the road, or you kill a chicken and you eat it. You're not destroying the image of God. There's no demand for your blood, for, for penalty, for payment, uh, for what you've done. And so God is demonstrating just how serious it is to take the image of God and destroy it by basically saying those who do so forfeit their right to life. When an execution warrant comes to my desk, I will sign a reprieve. But I want to go further than that. Through many administrations, I'm the 48th governor, and through the governors before me, several governors have called on lawmakers to reform our capital system, to study what changes could look like. You see, they've been open to the idea that our capital sentencing system is flawed but fixable. Well, <laughs> I would probably agree with that. I imagine it's flawed in the sense that it's too expensive, too burdensome, too filled with bureaucratic red tape, that it's basically lost its effect. It's not deterring because it has been so handcuffed and so hindered that it can't do its job. And it's all done in the name of love and gentleness and kindness, but that is not loving, gentle, or kind. And it's not just, as God has, has ordained and described justice. I believe, respectfully to my predecessors, that that misses the mark. That's interesting that he says that misses the mark. That is what sin is. The very word for sin, hamartia, means to miss the mark. How funny that he mentions that, um, you know, having the death penalty is missing the mark. Whereas, in reality, um, not having it, in God's eyes, for a civil magistrate is missing the mark. That civil magistrate is failing to accomplish what God has ordained him to accomplish. By today, I am respectfully calling on the General Assembly to work with me to abolish the death penalty once and for all here in Pennsylvania. But what's funny, though, is that he wants to abolish the death penalty, but the fact is that putting someone in prison for the rest of their life, basically what you've just done is you said, 
okay, I am not going to kill this person. I'm not going to put them to death. Basically, civil match, you're talking to God. God, I know you've ordained that I should put this person to death. They deserve to die in accordance with your law, um, but I'm not going to do it. And so, God, what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to put down the sword, and I'm just going to keep the person. And you are going to put them to death, God, by old age or disease or some mishap that happens in prison. And essentially what he's asking is for God to do it. God, I'm not going to obey. You do it yourself. If you want him dead, you kill him through natural means. And so we're just going to keep this person in prison until he breathes his last breath. Um, That still is a death sentence. Uh, that's not life to be behind bars for the rest of your days. Uh, that's dehumanizing. Um, it's not humane, and, and Scripture does not call for that kind of treatment for, for someone who's done a crime. Uh, prison is not a biblical concept um, or principle. And so um, I just find it ironic. He, he's not really getting rid of the death penalty. He's just shifting it out of his hands into God's hands and basically telling God, you do it. In your own time, you do it. I'm very aware that there are people on both sides of the aisle, and my colleagues can speak to this in greater detail than I, that there are people on both sides of the aisle who agree with me on this. And I'm also aware that there are people on both sides of the aisle who disagree with me on this. But I believe that we need to work together on it, that we need to have an honest conversation, that we need to begin the process of not doing more studies, but passing a bill to abolish the death penalty. So no more, no more studies, no more talk. Well, I mean, it says talk, but really no more studies, just pass the bill and abolish it. That seems not really a rational way to go about it or or a mature way, I mean, you want to do more studies and probably should study the Bible, should study what God has to say about these things um, in order to make the best and most just decision. Pennsylvania should do what 25 other states have done in either outlawing the death penalty or refusing to impose it. Well, we don't need to follow those other states into sin. If they're going to disobey God's law, that doesn't mean that we need to do that either. So... You know, that's not really helpful. Including our neighbors, New Jersey, Maryland, and West Virginia. Um, yeah, New Jersey and Maryland, I mean, I don't really consider them, you know, beacons of light as far as their laws. I don't know much about West Virginia, and I'm, I am surprised if they do have uh, no death penalty. I find that interesting, and if that is the case, it doesn't really matter. The point is, are you faithful to what... God has said at what you're commanded to do, your job as civil magistrate, just because everyone else around you is not doing their job doesn't mean that you can disobey. You see, I think this must be bigger than studying this issue or just reviewing the system. We shouldn't aim to fix this system. The Commonwealth should not be in the business of putting people to death, period. That is my view. The Commonwealth should not be in the business of putting people to death, period. Wow. Okay, Um, what a bold statement. So, how does that work 
in law enforcement with the police. Are you saying that they may never use lethal force uh, when enforcing the law? Is I mean, because if they're part of the Commonwealth, I mean, they work for the Commonwealth. Uh, should the should the National Guard of Pennsylvania no longer um, engage in combat operations against our enemies, uh, foreign or domestic, right? Um, that doesn't make any sense. It's not true. It's, it's just really not true what he's saying. Um, he wants to outlaw a certain kind of putting to death, the kind that you're supposed to do. <laughs> um, but I imagine he's probably in favor of supporting abortion and perhaps even taxpayer-supported abortions here in Pennsylvania. So that's a little interesting if he says the Commonwealth should not be involved in putting people to death. Um, yeah, my if I were to offer a kind of cheeky proposal to Governor Shapiro, I would say, sure, you want to abolish the death penalty? I'll vote for it the day that you abolish abortion. You make abortion illegal, no no exceptions, and we will make the death penalty illegal, no exceptions. How about that deal? I'd be interested to see what he would say to that. And I want you to know that I believe this, not just intellectually, but I believe this in my heart. At its core, for me, this is a fundamental statement of morality. Well... I'm glad that you have basically asserted yourself as the final authority on matters of morality. That in your heart, this is what you believe. The heart is desperately wicked, of course. Who can know it? Um, And this is your standard of morality. You have made yourself and your feelings your own standard. You're not looking to the objective standard set forth by our Creator. Of what is right and what is wrong, in my humble opinion. And I believe as governor, that Pennsylvanians must be on the right side of this issue. Well, uh, in your humble opinion, um, it's not humble to to basically say that God is not just and his laws are wicked. Um, on the right side of the issue, by what standard? What's right and what's wrong? It's just a matter of personal taste, right? Uh, this is what This is what you believe in your heart of hearts and many other people might believe differently. Who's to say? Who's to say? We don't know what right and wrong is. Where's the standard? I I wonder. And so I'm using my authority as governor to do just that. I know that there is a lot more work to be done and a whole lot more issues on your minds and on the minds of our lawmakers who are here today. But I believe today we are taking an important step forward to make progress for Pennsylvania. I truly want to say thank you for engaging with me. Thank you for teaching me. Thank you for allowing me to listen to you. Thanks for taking a chance and giving me the ability to be in this church and to have the opportunity to learn from all of you. It's mattering. It matters. And it will make a difference going forward. We've got a lot of work to do, and I look forward to continuing that work together. But above all else, I want you to know that I'll continue to listen. We'll continue to work together. And we have a lot of work to do together to abolish the death penalty here in Pennsylvania. So, again, it's interesting that he is thanking the church for teaching him, that particular church. So he's getting his theology from somewhere. He's getting his teaching from someone. 
Um, I mean, sure, he believes it in his heart, but he's been he's been taught. Um, so the church has a role to play in teaching the magi. It's 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 always happening. The church is always speaking into the magistrate as far as what what they think should or should not be the policy. It's, the question is which church, which religious body, uh, which doctrine, which theology is being um, taught and communicated to the civil magistrate. Which one is he listening to? And he's not neutral here. He's not unbiased. He has clearly declared that this church is taught him and he's listening to them. And this church is, frankly, teaching him wrongly. So I've already gone very, very long on this episode, but I wanted to just, I wanted to ask you to consider, maybe this is not that big of an issue. There's many other bigger issues we can deal with besides the death penalty, but it was big enough for Governor Shapiro to talk about it today. And I think that it's worth considering for us as well, and that we should talk about it. I wanted to go into some numbers. I've done trying to do some research on uh, the cost of the death penalty versus the cost of life imprisonment. Um, I don't really have time to go into that today. I hope to do a more in-depth look at the, the practical side of the death penalty. But the point is, though, overall, is that the death penalty is probably very costly because of all of the red tape and the layers upon layers upon layers, as, as Governor Shapiro pointed out, that make it so cumbersome that it really has lost its effect. It can't deter because we won't let it deter. But again, what's humane? What's just? What's the proper treatment? And um, if the deterrence factor did work, if we got to the point where it could deter, how much less crime might happen in the future, which would save lives and money as well. So there's a lot of variables to this, um, and I'd like to take a more deeper look at that at some point in the future. But for now, I encourage you to consider these things and consider the importance of obeying what God has to say and the hubris and the non-humility of and the arrogance of those who basically say, God is not just. Let's try something better. Anyways, thank you for tuning in today. I ask that you please uh, share the show with a friend, pass it on to those who might be interested in, in this topic. Um, if you have any comments, questions, please feel free to email me at thegbgpodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all those places. Just look for a Governed by God or, or Eric Leupold and you can message me there. And so... Until next time, take care and God bless.